not going? I'm looking for it. It's online. On Facebook? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okie dokie. Now we can get on with it. This is King of Kings Part 2. And we'll be in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6 again. This greeting. And that's all we're looking at right here. Um, out, of, out of this book, that's it's all we're looking at, just this greeting. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace. From him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. From him which is. Who is. You know, we started looking at this a little bit last week. And most people, you know, they know the God that was. They know the God that will be a little bit. But they never seem to know the God that is. I mean, you know, suddenly God in all of his glory has showed up. Uh, and this God who in all of his glory is now ha- has showed up. He's, he's, my goodness, you know, how many churches this morning will be saying they hope God shows up? And I'm saying he is. Christ in all of His glory. I mean, this risen Savior, He lives in you. You live in Him, He is. We don't have to pray Him up. We don't have to hope He visits. This ain't Motel 6. I mean, you go on and read the book of, of Revelation. We were talking about that uh, on, on Wednesday. He's there in the midst of the churches. The churches don't see Him, but He's there. He's there in the midst of the candlesticks. They don't know He's there. This God who, who is... And, and when you start discovering a little bit, I mean, even before you knew him, even before you was born, he always has been. And I can look to the future and say this one that always has been, this one that always is, never changes, he'll be there too. He says, grace to you from him who is. What a greeting to a letter. I'm amazed every time I look at this. I just think, wow, what a, what a greeting. What a salutation. 
And most people don't get this. We, we may talk more about this next week. Uh, right in this very moment, you are experiencing the grace of God. You don't even know it. It's so ordinary. I mean, you know, people think all oh, the grace of God has got to be all of this, all of this fantastic stuff. You know, I walked out up here Wednesday, uh, and it was, you know, it was dark, and that light comes on out there, and it was snow on the ground, and that little bush right there, I think that's called a Rose of Sharon. And it was here in the snow, and it was snow-covered, and that red on that bush just looked so beautiful. I was trying to take a picture. Well, I took a picture of it. It just didn't show up. I just stood there in the dark. I said, my God, what beauty. I mean, you have no idea. You just want, you walk by it. I mean, nobody even notices it's out there. And it's, it's there. And it was all draped over. And it was covered in snow. And I just, I mean, even in the now, we are experiencing the grace of God. And, and you look back and you, you realize this grace has been coming to you even before you knew there was grace. You didn't even know what it was. It's what we put in our little caption back there. Do you know the grace? Do you remember the grace that brought you, that brought you to grace? You call that amazing grace. The goodness of God that was leading you to repentance. Now think about that. The goodness of God leading us to repentance. And repentance again, we'll talk about this more next week, is, is not crying and sobbing. Repentance is changing your mind. Changing your mind about what? Who God is. Most today have no idea who God is. I mean, how does He come to you? He's the God of grace. He's the God of goodness. He's, he's good. I mean, He is it. Before you knew that God was good, He was leading you. He was there. I mean, do you realize, do you realize how much junk came to us? I mean, we use everything. And I know I've done it. I mean, uh, boy, you better, you know, I mean, we start training our kids with God will get you. And we can use it in the forms of Santa Claus and all this other stuff. You know, he's watching. You know, if you tell a lie, he's going to get you. You know, I mean, you know, Santa Claus, God. And so, so everything is like, oh, my God, he's, he's going to get me. So even as little kids, we train our kids up that, that, that God is vindictive. He's mean. He's going to get you. He's one to be feared. He's mighty. We never train them up in the grace of God. And, you know, we, we're all guilty of it. Even when, when that training is coming to us and we pass that, that understanding on, the goodness of God that leads us to what repentance so that we change our mind about all of that stuff to realize that He is good. I mean, Jesus Himself, when they said, Good Master, He said, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, even my Father. Jesus Himself calls His own Father good. He is good. He is goodness. And now that we're becoming to know Him, that He is, that He is now, 
But he also was. Even when you didn't know him, he, he, I mean, he was. And he is to come. You can rest in that. That, that, that he is. You know, God told me one time, he said, perhaps, perhaps you'll find forgiveness. Per, perhaps God will forgive you. Now, I guess it depends on what kind of mood God's in. But you see, he, I mean, he comes to us in this greeting, who, who is, was, and is to come. The same unchanging, un, unchangeable God, God who is eternal, has already forgiven you before you was even born. Now think on that. It's no perhaps, oh, you know, if I cry enough, and see, that's where this repentance comes in. Maybe you can cry uh, enough and throw yourself on the floor enough that maybe perhaps God will change his mind and forgive you. When God himself is writing a letter to you and his very salutation is grace and peace unto you. I mean, the one Paul writes, we have peace with God already. Before you even knew it, when you was hostile to God, when you said He won't be our King, He says peace. Grace unto you. Everybody insists on living in was or will be. You, you know what I'm talking about. Boy, you remember back in the 50s, life was good, life was good. I mean, do you realize he is? I was listening the other day and people were talking on, on the railroad. And they were talking like, oh boy, back in the olden days, back in the 70s. Things was good. And... And, you know, in my time, you know, back in the, in the, in the 90s, well, things was good. They, we really had it good back then. And, and now, you know, it's all terrible. And I'm thinking, I remember back then when our gang didn't have a backhoe and we had four shovels and a digging bar and we dug from 7 in the morning through the hard track, which is like concrete, trying to get a pipe through there. All stinking day, and it was good. And then we got a backhoe, and I was, you know, 30 minutes later, we're done. But we want to go back because we forget all of that stuff. You know, do you remember back in the, uh, do you remember back in the, in the 50s when life was so good, and it was five below zero, and you had to go to the bathroom, but uh, you don't have a bathroom. You got to walk 200 yards out to the toilet. Y'all remember? Life was so good back there when you didn't have running water in the house, and you didn't get to take a bath, but once a week when you had to go draw. Maybe y'all was rich. I don't know. You, you know what I'm talking about? The first statement that he comes to us with is, I am. See, we look back and we say, God did that and it was wonderful back in the past. And we look in the future of what it's going to be one of these days. And he says, I am. Grace be unto you and peace which uh, from him which is. When is is? Is is a, is a now thing. It's, it's a now verb in this, in this moment. He is. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we, we realize that. I was... I 
You, you remember, let me, let me go find this verse. You, you, there was a, a lady named Martha. You remember Martha and Mary? And word gets to Jesus that his good friend Lazarus is sick. And finally, you know, four days later, Jesus goes. And, and here's Martha. Here's what she said. Uh, she said unto Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, you know what she's saying? Boy, if it could be like it used to be. If it could be like it used to be back in the days, back when Lazarus was alive and, and here we are with Martha and Mary. And, and you remember back then? But now, he's dead. He's dead. Man, I wished it was like it used to be. And most people, you know, I remember when it like it used to be. Or one of these days. You know, I mean, that's what she said. Jesus says, you know, Martha, you know, your brother shall rise again. What does she say? Well, now she switches from, from the God who was to the God who will be. I know he'll raise again at the last day. I know you'll have your will. It'll be done in the last day. But right now we, li we live in a time of death. We live in a time of separation. And man, you know, I want to go one to the other. And Jesus steps right up and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right now in this moment, I'm it. We meet God in the is. Because that's where he's at. You, you'll never understand him as was or will be till you know him in the is, in the I am. I am the resurrection and the life. For him who is, we live in the is, all that he is, he is now. You know what I think about that? I know this is, this is, this is hard for us to get in our mentality. But... And I'm just throwing this out there. I want you to think about something because we, we seem to think that the dead, uh, those that have passed on, when I say dead, that we have buried and casket and gone uh, away are way far away. Or maybe they were in a graveyard somewhere, but where are they? Where were they before they died? I'm talking about those uh, in, in salvation, where are they? They're, they're in Christ. They was in Christ before they died. And Paul talks about the dead in Christ, right? So i got to ask this question. If Christ is in you, where's the dead? The dead is in Christ. So where is Christ? Christ is in you. So how far away are they? Not very far. So we, we, we don't think about that. You know, it's, it's because our minds are so earthly centered so so down so brought down we don't realize how much sin has diluted our thinking i mean imagine jesus do you ever just go to go to that everybody's just like oh well and they preach on raising lazarus from the dead but do you get the statement i am the resurrection Martha, you're looking for the last day. You're, you're, you're crying over how things used to be. You're hoping for how things will be. And do you not realize how things are? Now the I am is here. 
I am the life now. Things aren't as you think they are. We love to live in the, the God who will be. If only, and this is what people do, if only I could pray enough. Then God will be to me. You know, right now God is not to me what I think He should be, so I have to get to this level. Then God will be to me all that I need Him to be. I got to pray enough. And then. Then once I get to that point, then we go off into a, uh, a fantasy land. If only I could pray more, fast more, whatever. Maybe if I could fast for 21 days. Maybe if we could, maybe if we could get the whole church to, to fast for 21 days, then God would be to us. Because He sure is to them. They fasted for 21 days and, and now look what all the miracles God is doing. Now You, you see what we do? And he's coming to us and, and he's telling us, I am. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life now. I'm it before you was even born. I mean, he's it before you was even, before you ever thought about praying. Before you ever thought about fasting, he is. I mean, do you get a hold of that? And he comes to us as what? Grace and peace. I'm telling you, it's beyond our human understanding. And let me tell you something. Of all the things in this world that's for sale, God is not. You cannot buy Him. When I say this, you, you can't earn His grace and peace. And you can't earn it by praying. You can't earn it by fasting. You can't earn it by doing good deeds and not going here and how your hair is and whether you wear pants in church or whether you don't or what you wear. You, God's not for sale. He is. Thank God for that, that He is. God says, I am. And when I meet him, he is. I don't, you know, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't have the words. You, do you realize that certain cry that you have? When I say that cry, that groan, that need, and we all got it. I mean, sometimes we think, okay, uh, one of these days I won't have that need anymore. I won't have that weakness anymore. One of these days I'm going to grow up and, and then I won't, I won't even need God anymore. I'll be God. Do you realize that how false that is? And I, I mean, when you realize the need that you have, God is that now. You, you can't earn that love. I mean, all that you ever need, He is. Think about that. All that you ever need, He is. Do you just let these things roll around in you? And, and you know, my, I heard this guy say this the other day, and I, I've thought about this so much. Just You know how sometimes a, a, just a statement will come out? 
It may have been Jay Vernon McGee. I don't know if you guys know who that is. I know some of you do. And I, I can't remember if it was him who said it or not. But anyway, it's irrelevant. He said the church started out in the homes. And he believed they would end back up there. Now, isn't that totally against everything religious because really we judge whether God blesses us on how many people show up and how many buildings we have and how many all of those other things that are going on, you know, these, these mega churches and, and, and all of that stuff. And when you find out that God, and when, I don't know how to say this exactly right, but it's in so much in just the ordinary that you miss Him. And that in your very needs that you have. And see, nobody, they always tell you about all this God way over here in the future. And they can't tell you that every need that you have in this very moment, He is. I mean, He's the I am. You, you need healing. What is He? I'm your health. You need you, you know, you, you wake up and you don't have the strength for the, for the day. You're just full of weakness. This is a great opportunity for you to meet God who says, I am your strength. What an opportunity. For those in, in, in prayer that says, oh, there's somebody in, in chest pains and they're, they're going to the emergency room. What, what an opportunity. We don't have to beg. He is our health right now. I don't have to go conjure him up and all this, everybody get together. I mean, he's it. He was it before anybody had chest pains. He's it. Before cancer ever was, the, the health, the healer was there. Before there was a disease, there's the healer. Imagine that. Him who, who is. You, you can never earn his strength. I've caught myself sometimes when I go to pray for somebody or, or, or something and I want to you know, say, well, Lord, they've been in church 30 years. What relevance is that? You can't earn it. God's not for sale. He doesn't look and say, well, they've been in church 30 years. You've only been 25. You know, five more years come back. No, He is. And He's not for sale. You can't earn His strength. You can't earn His power. You can't earn His comfort. You can't earn His wisdom. You can't merit His light in your life. He is. Let it be. You know, that's what Hebrews says, let. All the time, there's, there's 13 lets in Hebrews. God said let. You know what let means? Yield. You need His light in your life. You don't pray for it. You yield. You get out of the way and, and let Him be who He is in the middle of it. Now we're back to the heart of God. What is the heart of God? Grace. He's, a, he's available in His unending supply. And see, we, you know, again, I'm just, we, we think God only does churchy things. You know what I mean? He only does things on Sunday or, seven, or, or on Saturday in the, in the seven-day Advent people. He doesn't do stuff on Tuesday, you know. I, I don't know, sometimes I, I think weird stuff. Sometimes I just laugh. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, 
you get up to go to work and I, you know you got to put on your work boots and you know we always got to have these big old boots and there's nothing like you know sleeping to the last moment and getting up in kind of a rush and right in the middle of that break a shoestring I don't know if anybody's ever had that happen to them, but now what are you going to do? i got to go to work, and i got my boot, and I ain't got a shoestring. I know you kind of laugh about this, but you know what? That can, that can set your day back. You'll be mad all day. You know, broke a dad goes, I ain't got a shoestring. Now i got to go to work. Now I'm late for work. And I, now this thing can catapult way out of control just because you broke a shoestring. I know it sounds funny, but I think of these. And now, you know, I can kind of sit back and, and, and laugh about that. And I'm not saying God healed my shoestrings. Uh, I had two shoestrings now. <laughs> but I just kind of laugh. And sometimes I wonder if, if, if God is laughing when I break the shoestring. And I'm thinking my whole day is going to be ruined. And, but we can laugh together and we can rest in it. And, I, and it d- just taking a moment to realize that he is. That he is with me now. And we're laughing together at this crazy little event that happened. I broke the shoestring. I don't know if you think that way, guys. You might think I'm crazy. But that's kind of the way I think. God in, in shoestrings, in the little things. I mean, you think, well, he's not. You know, John says, so I'm not worthy to, to loose a shoe latchet. So John must have known something about shoestrings. I don't know, it's crazy. As soon as you realize there's a need in your life, a pressure, I've become aware of the inadequacy. I've become aware of my insufficiency. Our, our first thought, our trained thought is to, is to go what might have been. What, what he could have done. What God used to do. Then we say, I've got to pray so much. I've got to fast so much. And then maybe it won't be this way. I say, no, we got to drop that. We got, we got to stop that stinking thinking. That's legalism. That's the opposite of grace. It's a slander on God's character. When you feel the pressure, when you feel the insufficiency, when you feel the weakness, realize that God is now the supply. In this very moment, in in your very worry and anxiety and pressure that you feel, realize He is and then let Him be it. It's, and let me tell you something. God doesn't have to be begged. He doesn't have to be coerced. He is. He already is. That's how He comes to you, isn't it? which is. Grace and peace, which is. is coming to you. Grace, endless supply is coming to you. Can't be begged, coerced, bought. It is. So much so, now listen to this, that every pressure, every weakness, every insufficiency, every negative that, it, that encroaches my life, presses upon me, there's the glorious opportunity to say He is. Glorious opportunity. Glorious opportunity. 
go through the Psalms and, and see how David. I'm going to give you one here, Psalm 27. Look how David applied this. I mean, he, David understood the I am, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the I am. In, in Psalm 27, when David wrote that psalm, we think David was just having a uh, cupcake and lollipop day. You know what? When David wrote Psalm 27, we went through a lot of these psalms where David was at. King Saul, you know who King Saul is. King Saul's breathing down his neck. He's almost about to be captured. And if Saul, Saul wanted to kill him. Saul throw javelins at him. Saul is hunting him down like a dog. At one point in time, I mean, David and his men are hid out in the cave. And Saul went in there to use the bathroom. He's that close to being caught. Can you, I mean, imagine being on the run. I don't know, I just have to say, imagine every police officer, state trooper, FBI, everybody is after you. You did nothing wrong, but you've gotten accused, and they're all after you. And here you are laying behind a log, and, and here they are with their foot on the log, almost ready to get you. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the anxiety. If ever a man was in darkness and confusion, here's David, cornered. He needed salvation. His enemy's right there. And what does he say? The Lord, the I am, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Do you get that? What a realization. The Lord is. Do you ever say that right now? This, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my light right now. He's it. Whom shall I fear? I mean, he had to remind himself, wait a minute, God's not over there. God hasn't left me. He's the I am. The Lord, Yahweh. He didn't beg, oh God, oh God, please become my salvation. God, I'll fast. I'll go back and read. I'll read the Bible a whole bunch. If only, God, you will become my salvation one of these days. God, if you will, please, please, please. He got a realization. The Lord, Yahweh, is my light. Yahweh is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of, of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of whom, of what situation shall you be afraid? What is it brings worry to your life? I mean, read this psalm again and say, Of what situation shall I be worried? The Lord is my salvation. Oh, I realize my weakness. I remember my first response to this situation is to worry and have anxiety. I, I know the thoughts that go through my mind, but I have to say every time, wait a minute, Yahweh, the Lord is my light. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm in total darkness. I'm in confusion. Wait a minute. The Lord is now my light and my salvation. Why am I afraid? I'm afraid because I forgot who He is. I remembered him in the past. I know what he'll be one of these days, but I forgot who he is now in this situation. David didn't beg. He just beholds the everlasting God and says, God, my God is, is grace. God is now all that I need. He's, he's available to me now. 
The I am is my strength and my light and my salvation. Why am I afraid? Who can bring fear into my life? Who's bigger than God? I mean, that's what he was saying to the disciples, you know, on the boat. They had gotten their whole focus on the storm. And they thought the storm was so big. And the storm was going to wreck the boat and, and throw the whole ministry off. It's going to wreck everything. And Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And they're like, don't you care that we perish? And what does, what does this one do who's coming at you? He gets up and says, you know, peace, be still. And the sea calmed. And the winds, they hushed. Do you, I mean, do you realize, I mean, he didn't get up and stand and have to beg. He just spoke it. I mean, they had to realize the Lord is my salvation, my light, my strength, my peace. Of whom shall I be afraid? A storm that's about to tear your whole life apart? The very fact of David acknowledging his need, beholding God. And see, need and God have joined in one. The negative, which was David's needs, has been the expression of the positive, which is God. I mean, what truth if you can get it? Every need and weakness and insufficiency in your life is an opportunity for God to express Himself and to reveal Himself to us. And we think, oh, He's left us. He's over yonder somewhere. I mean, if you can get this, it'll deliver you from legalism. If you've got a need, listen to this. If you have a need, it, it's simply for God to fill it. Why? Because He's grace. And you don't have to beg Him. He, he is. He floods our need with His supply. I mean, the same guy, David, says, you know, I, I, I got a, a cup and my cup is empty. And I need God to fill my cup. And, wh and what's the next thing he says? My cup is three quarters full. I have so much here, it's running over. So much here, it's running over. My cup runneth over. The cup that I once had that was empty. God is. Endless supply is available. So much so, it's running over. I mean, a few days later, I know the Psalms aren't in order. Uh, as far as being written in chronological time. So in a few days later... Uh, after God had become his deliverance, he summed it up in, a, in that famous psalm. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the rest of the psalm, Psalm 23, is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, guess what? I shall never be in want. Not the Lord will be my shepherd. And one of these days when the Lord is my shepherd, I won't be, you know, I'll have it all. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I'll never be in want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Because the Lord is my shepherd, He prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. But because the Lord is my shepherd, He anoints my head with oil. Because the Lord is my shepherd, His goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. Statements of the I am 
is my shepherd. I mean, that's prayer, guys. That's prayer. That's, that's a statement of fact. That's living in the Spirit right there. Now, of course, we all know our needs, and it's wonderful when you realize your needs. I mean, that's, that's what happens in, you know, teenage years. They, you know, people think they got it all figured out. And the, and, and the older you get, the more you realize your needs, your weaknesses, your you know what I mean? And it's wonderful when you understand that, when you start to know that, because it continually allows you to discover who God is. Paul glorified in his infirmities. That always amazes me. Paul says, I rather glory in my infirmities. He learned that God's grace is sufficient. I mean, we got a, a church world now who don't want infirmities and wants to get everything all hunky-dory squared away. Man, you're missing a great opportunity. Every need is an opportunity to discover who God is. I'm telling you, guys, you don't know Jesus as resurrection until Lazarus is dead. Lazarus had to die. You don't know Jesus has power over the storm until you're in the boat about to drown. I mean, you don't know that. I mean, Peter, why do you think it a strange thing for this fiery trial, which is to try you? Listen, you don't, we celebrate and clap hands and oh my God. We, but listen, have you ever been thrown in a fiery furnace? See, you don't know he's the fourth man in there until you are really, really hot in the fiery trial. And at that junction, you, you don't know. You don't know, but he is coming to you and he's saying, I am. This is where you discover him. I mean, nobody says, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go tick the government off and I hope they'll throw me in the lion's den. I mean, you know. That's where you discover who he is. Some come out of the world that was, and they, they come into the fantasy land that will be. We live in the truth of the everlasting God, whoever is, is now uh, pressing himself to you. Do you realize that? He is pressing himself to you. He is your need. And He is totally available. And He is for you. Do you realize that? And He gives Himself freely to you. And you can take and take and take. You can take as much as you want. Imagine that. God who is. And you can take as much as you want. I mean, he says, come and eat of me. Come eat my flesh. Drink my blood. You can have of me all that you want. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's, that's too much. It's too much. And let me tell you the other side of that. If, if, if you don't want, if you don't want any of him, it's okay. He still loves you. He'll keep knocking on the door. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't drop his head and say, Oh, I'm, I'm upset today. They've turned me out. He's joy. 
Let me get back over here. And he says here back in Revelation uh, Grace be unto you, peace from him which is, was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. The seven spirits which are before the throne. I'm telling you, in this book of Revelation, it's a book of symbols. All through the book, it's a book of symbols. Uh, I know a lot of people try to split it up and, and divide it up. Well, this is literal. This is symbolic. It's, it's, it's a whole book of symbols. There's not a literal thousand years. It's, it's symbolic. We've talked about that. There's not a lamb on the throne. I'm talking a four-legged lamb on the throne. It's, it's symbols. Jesus was in the midst of the candlesticks. I mean, what's the candlesticks? It's symbolic. It's all symbolic. So there's not seven spirits running around. There's one Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people, uh, you know, there's books on numerology, and I don't know all the, all the numbers, but I know there are a few numbers in Scripture that you'll find over and over and over and over again. And that number is three, and the number four, and the number seven, and the number 12. I'm not going through all this numerology here, but three plus four is seven. Three times four is 12. There were 12 tribes. There was 12 disciples. God finished His work and rested on what day? Se seventh day. So seven, I want you to get this, is the perfection of God's finished work. The perfection of God's finished work. Six is always the number of man. What day did He make man? Sixth day. Man created on the sixth day. He fell short of God's perfect work. That's the reason Jesus, the last Adam, finished the work. Seven is the perfection of God's creative power. Bringing to pass His purpose and will to perfection. What did Jesus say? It's done. And God is thrilled with it so much and... and on the seventh day when he finished his work, you know what he said? It's good. It's very good. Thrilled with it. Nothing else could be added. And God works that into the world. He is working his perfect creative will in this world. I know it sometimes it doesn't seem like it. We look around and we see all of the, all the, the crime, the, the nonsense that's going on, the terrible atrocities that take place. We have no, we have no idea what, what God is doing. But, and we think He's off, He's upset, He's vindictive, He's mad. I'm telling you, God is right now working. He is at work. It's who He is. And He's bringing to pass His very will. And none can stay His hand. Whether you like it or not. So the God who was three in one is working in the four corners of the world. It's hard to understand a, a, a world that is round, has four corners. Again, symbolic. The, the 12 tribes of Israel was a display of what 
the triune God was doing in the four-cornered world. If you can get the macro view here. The twelve disciples were the men gathered around Jesus who was come to declare the full purposes of the triune God. So the seven spirits is speaking of the Holy Spirit in the perfection of all that He is doing in the world. And He's the ever active Spirit who is bringing to pass the wonder and the beauty of God's purposes. You know, we uh, go back to Genesis. And this is something we're going to be looking at on Wednesday night. He's girt about the paps with a golden girdle. This man is girt about the paps with a golden girdle. We see right in the beginning, right in Genesis, the Holy Spirit hovering, brooding as a mother hen over her eggs. And isn't that something that even now and all... Uh, all the things that your kids are doing or not doing, all the rebellion, everything that's going on, do you realize that the Holy Spirit is brooding over them at this very moment, even when they don't even know? Do you realize that when you were doing the same thing, the Holy Spirit was brooding over you to bring about His, His will and purposes in your life? I mean, imagine that. Doesn't that, I mean, that's why we can rest. See, you can worry and we can say, well, we got to worry. I mean, will you realize, wait a minute. God is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid? He's working in all of creation and, and bringing it all to pass. And notice from where is he working it? Where's the seven spirits at? Before the throne. Before the throne. We see, we see the throne big in chapter 4. Wherever you see a throne, you know what that means? Somebody's in control. Somebody's in control. I was telling them, I come down my hill up there Tuesday, and I was definitely not in control. I slid all over the hill. I was driving like NASCAR. Trying to keep the back of my truck from spinning around sideways. That's definitely out of control. You get to the bottom, you're like, whew. These seven spirits come from the throne, and he's in control. Now imagine you're, you're John, and you're on the Isle of Patmos, and you're walking around on Patmos, and all of a sudden, you start to see these things. Voices and candlesticks and, and all of this stuff. And, and, you know, we get this letter to the churches, these letters to the churches. And, and, and you know, you're kind of understanding and you're seeing all of that. And imagine you're just there and, you, and you're hearing these voices and seeing these things. And then all of a sudden you look and there's a door in the middle of nowhere. There's a door. I mean, imagine if you came up on the hill and there's a door out here in the driveway. And, and it, you see nothing else but a door. Behold, wow. I mean, that's what he said. I don't know how you read these things, but I want you to say, wow, there's a door. Isn't this a strange place for a door? I would think there would be a building there. I mean, you guys have done a little carpentry work. You know, there's a door that goes in or out of the building. But right here in the middle of the, of the driveway, there's a door. It's not laying down, standing up. Behold, a door. And a voice says, hey, 
How you doing? Won't you come on in? I mean, how do you read the book of Revelation? Oh, holy thou, thus and those, and behold. I mean, John says, here's the door. And somebody says, come on in. Well, let me read to King James. And after this, and I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the, vo and the voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, saying, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. I like my version better. There's the door. Come on in. John goes in. And suddenly, there's another world. He sees another world there. You know what he's saying? He, he's saying right, right here, right now, if you could only see it, is a whole nother world. You see all this through, through scriptures. I mean, you know, the mountains were full uh, of the angels and all, all of this. I mean, they, I mean you, oh, people want to visit us. And, and John is telling us, and the Lord Jesus is telling us, if you could only see it right now. I mean, do you realize he gave his angels charge over you? At least you dash your foot against the stone? I mean, do you get a hold of this? I mean, right now in the midst of the Isle of Patmos when there was nothing going on but slavery and bondage and John is in chains, behold a door. And wow, John goes in through the door and he sees a throne. It wasn't what I thought. And somebody on the throne, he says, look, someone is, control, is in control of the whole thing. I thought it was out of control. I thought it was in confusion. I thought God was getting his battle army ready to go and have war and fight against the devil and do all of these things. And I looked and behold, a throne and one was sitting at rest on the throne. I mean, he's got the nations in the palm of his hand. Who can say, why doest thou? You, you live in a world that looks and seems out of control. Seems like big governments in control, conspiracy theories. All uh, it, it, it looks like wars on every hand. He says, life isn't what you think it is. There's another half to the universe. There's more to life than meets the eye. There, there, there's a throne and that throne rules over <coughs> all thrones. He says, from before the throne, before the throne, the seven spirits which are before the throne. There's the, the spirit of God working, ever going out from before the throne. It's the Holy Spirit to bring to pass God's purposes. What is God's purpose? The, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The earth shall be filled the glory of God. The kingdom of God shall dash to pieces all other kingdoms and shall fill the whole earth. I mean, do you believe that? God is working now, working right now by His Holy Spirit to bring to pass His will and nothing can stop it. The sevenfold Spirit of God ever moving out from before the throne, ever bringing to pass the perfect purposes of God. We've messed up the grace of God so much. I mean, we still try to atone for our sins. You see it every Sunday. We, we try to, 
appease God, beg God, coerce God, by God, wondering if we've done enough. You know, I used to say, okay, I'm going to read four hours today. And then, then the, well, you need, why didn't you read four and a half? You should have read five and then six and then seven. I mean, you pray for an hour. Why didn't you pray for an hour? You can never do enough. And let me, let me let you off the hook. You can never do enough. That's why God has to do all the giving. That's why it's grace. We can never pay. We can never put our, we can never put our lives back together again. You know, I think about that Humpty Dumpty. Sit on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But let me tell you one who can one who, who us, the Humpty Dumpties, fell off the wall and our lives are broken a million pieces. We couldn't do it and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't. But he can. And he does. Look, I mean, look at all the messes we've made. I, I mean, do you, do you ever, have you ever been in, in such a mess and said, is there any hope for that? I mean, this is too far gone. I've sat there and said, this is too big. I mean... You know, God has probably said, enough, tired of it. But where's the Holy Spirit coming from? The throne. He takes all the messes, all the little bits, all the little pieces, all the brokenness, and the Holy Spirit takes all of that and makes it part of His plan and purpose, and it it becomes amazing grace. I mean, some of the mistakes we made, I don't know, maybe you guys haven't, but have you ever just really blew it? And and do you realize that we all are just a heap of wrong, bad choices? I mean, maybe you've sat back and maybe you've made all the right choices. And I tell you, in the heap of all your bad choices, all the mistakes you made, God wasn't mad. God wasn't put off. You couldn't run Him off. His grace was pressing to you. In the wisdom God is, in the knowledge God is, He knew you would do that before you even did it. Imagine that. He knew you would do that. Sometimes, you know, that's what I'm saying. God didn't sit up there and go, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. He knew you was going to do that before you did it. And he didn't leave. Imagine, he didn't leave. He didn't run off. You didn't surprise him. He took that mistake. He took that wrong choice and made it part of his plan. This is, this is the wonder that he does. So we look back in our lives and we see the wrong things, the wrong choices we made. And yes, they were. I mean, God never said they were right choices. But God redeemed our wrongs. He he didn't only forgive our wrongs. He redeemed them and made them part of His plan. And I'll say this. The the Bible has a lot of embarrassing parts in it, if you ever read the whole Bible. Most people avoid them. They just only go for the good stuff because they don't fit our theology. I mean, when you read about God who, who won't become a Baptist... He won't become a Lutheran. God won't become a Pentecostal. I mean, what are we going to do with that? we got to have a God that fits in what we believe. We want God to conform to our image of Him. And when He don't, I mean, it's beyond our understanding. I mean, God told me one time, God was a, or Jesus was a Baptist. 
So my God, if he came to you as a Lutheran, I guess you'd hang him back on the cross. We can't have a God that's not a Baptist. Pentecostals won't have a God that's not a Pentecostal. Well, let me tell you why. He's, he's not a Pentecostal. He's not a Baptist. He's not a Lutheran. He's king of kings. What, I mean, if you was writing the Bible, what would you have done with Abraham? The, I mean, who's Abraham called? Father of our faith. I mean, you read the whole story. This cat goes down into Egypt. Now imagine this. He goes down into Egypt. He wasn't supposed to go down into Egypt. Looks at his wife and says, I know you're 70 years old, but you know, you're still good looking. You, you're still good looking. And I know how these Egyptians are. I know how these people are. When we get down there, the, you know, the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, he's going to want you part of his harem. He'll want you because, you know, you're good looking. And if he finds out we're married, he'll kill me to get you. So I tell you what, do, because I ain't fighting for you. I ain't dying for you, sister. You tell him you're my sister. Father of faith, I'd have left that out, wouldn't you? I mean, imagine. I mean, I'm telling Tracy, you know, you, you're a good-looking woman. And if that guy wants you, you, don't, you know, he'll kill me. Tell him you're my sister. You know, you'd be like, what? Tell him you're my sister, and I'll give, a, I'll give you to him. And he did. God had to intervene. I mean, God, why did you have to put that in the Bible? You could have left that part out. Why didn't God cover that up? It's one of the worst mistakes Abraham ever made. But God picked that up and wove it right in so that generations and generations and generations to come might know that if you're as bad as that, it's okay. God can take that. He can work with you. God can redeem that mistake, same as He did with Abraham. He took that mistake Abraham made and made him the father of faith. I told you, he takes messes and makes trophies. God didn't put that in the Bible to shame Abraham. He put that in there for his namesake to tell us, this is the kind of God I am. That's the kind of people I can work with. Abraham didn't come out humiliated. He came out a trophy, father of faith. This is what God is like. God takes the worst parts of our life. We... we we, we don't stand before Him ashamed of our past. That's what religion, legalism wants you to do. Paul said, forgetting the past. We don't stand there ashamed of our past, uh, you know, shutting the closet door and, and shouting, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, it's not me. Knowing good and well that you did. You can, you can let go, let the skeletons fall out. Let them fall out all over the floor. God knows, God knows. You were going to do it before you did it. He's already forgiven you. Already forgiven you in the cross. He's already forgiven you. If you'll accept it. Most people won't accept it. They say, well, I hope God will forgive you. God has already forgiven you. All you got to do is receive it. It's on the table. Come and eat. It's, it's there. If you'll accept it. If you'll accept it. He takes the skeletons and redeems them. And makes them part of his trophy. This is part of our little thing. The jewel cases of God's treasuries are made up of the bones of our mistakes. That's who He is. 
He says, from him who is, was, is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne. God in dynamic activity of grace, working in our lives, because he's in control of everything. So that all things really do work together. For the glorious good of God to them that love him. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say from the Son of God. He says from Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus is the Son. But why, does he, why doesn't he refer to him as Son of God here? Why, why Jesus? Why from Jesus Christ? And I'm going to finish up right here in just, just a minute. Jesus, remember this. Jesus is the name of his humiliation. When, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, they, they called him Jesus. I want you to understand... Uh, what it, what it is here when, when God put on coveralls. I mean, do you, do you get a hold of that? I mean, you ever go up there and, and, you know, the mechanic's working on your car, somebody's working out, and, and, you know, they got dirty fingernails and dirty hands and they're working. I mean, this is God who is all glory came down and put on coveralls and got right with us, and that's His name, Jesus. That's the name he uses here from Jesus Christ. Because he's speaking of the grace of God. And unless God had become one of us and lived among us and got his hands dirty, we would never know of the grace of God. So the eternal God who is working mightily works because he has focused himself in Jesus Christ. Christ. That's why it's the name he puts here. This, and this one he says is the faithful witness. He's the final word from God. The final word. If you really, if you want to really know what grace is, more than just the word grace, or it's, you know, people say grace, I'm getting what I don't deserve. If you really want to know, it's focused in Jesus. If you really want to know what grace is, know Him. Because He's it. Jesus is the faithful witness to grace. The firstborn from the dead. That is, He's the priest that finished His work. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And grace is available and He presses upon us now. And there's only one who rules the universe. The lamb as it had been slain upon the throne. Grace, do you imagine that grace rules the universe? And John, in his doxology here, his, he can't contain himself. And he's, uh, and, and, I mean, and he blurts it out unto him that loved us. Do you know that's, we'll get to this next week, but that, there's not a D there, there's an S. King James got it wrong, put it in past tense. From him who loves us and freed us from our sins. He can't help it. He says, wait a minute. Him who loves us now, grace and peace is coming. It's available. All he is is available now. And he loves us and he's freed us. I mean, Jeff sung the song, I'm, I'm, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Do you realize that? You're free. Most don't realize they're free. Most don't know they're free. But John gets it. He was, oh, wait a minute, he's loosed us. And not only that, he loosed us with his own blood, but he's made us a kingdom and a priest to the Father. 
Used to be poor old beggars. Used to be prisoners of sin. And now he's made us a kingdom and a priesthood to the Holy Father, the eternal God. That's the greeting that comes to you from the everlasting God. Grace and peace. Not tonight. Not tomorrow. Not when you've earned it. Not when you've read enough and prayed enough. Prayed enough. Grace and peace now. The I am now. Him who is. For God is. He is the I am. And He's available to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where He meets you. That's who He is. Anyway, I'm going to quit with that. That's the greeting. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you.